smallbusinesstogrow.com. I'm with Renee Bemis of the Driftless Glen, one of the largest independently owned craft distilleries in the United States. And Renee is the CEO and co-owner. So Renee, we are looking to bring successful entrepreneurs, executives, small business owners on and kind of share their best practices on the things they've done and have been successful. And maybe some of the things they've learned along the way that, you know what, I just don't want to do that anymore. So let's talk a little bit about you. What's your background? Well, thank you, Ray, for having me on. I'm excited to do this. Um, I am a multifaceted person in the sense of I've had, I joke and say I've had three lives. My first life, I was an athlete. I was a golfer, went to school on a full scholarship, decided that I wasn't going to become a professional. So I went into the art arena um, and I've been a professional sculptor for over 35 years. I still do that. But in about 2011, we were approached to bring uh, a, a business plan was brought to us to open a craft distillery which we make our own whiskey, um, bourbon, rye. And we, my husband and I didn't know anything about the business, but thought it was intriguing. Uh, we started off with a partner. Uh, we were gonna be just the silent business owners, but that lasted about two years and we purchased him out, paid him full, all of his money back. And my husband and I owned the company from the moment we opened the doors to the public. So, yeah. So, so how, how old were you when you started the craft distillery? I was we, early fifties. So early fifties. Yeah. And, and no background no. in manufacturing, no background no. in distillation, no background in selling spirits. And no background in the restaurant business, which we have a front end restaurant retail store. So we have three businesses within the company. We have the distillery. So you have to know how to distill and then you have to sell it. So it's your wholesale. Then we have the front end, which is the restaurant and retail. So those are three different entities within one company of which I knew nothing of any of the, um, and, and then you have the marketing of the company. So Again, we, so we have, and it's all, it's all under the Driftless Glen umbrella. And that's in Baraboo, Wisconsin. For those right. that are familiar with the Midwest, the popular Wisconsin Dells tourist destination, you guys are what a 10 minute drive from the Dells. Exactly. 10 minute drives. And, we're the, we're the only place where you can have lunch right on the river. Um, we have, we do have a wonderful restaurant. We did not make it. It's a distillery uh, cuisine restaurant. So we use our spirits in our uh, dishes as well as olive oils and vinegars that we also have at the distillery. So, um, and everything is grain to glass. We, we reuse and, and everything within the company. So you're, you were in, and I think you, maybe didn't pay enough attention. You're probably one of the top bronze sculptors. Sculptors, Is that reasonable? Yeah, I'm in wildlife. Um, or I do figurative, I do monumental work. Um, yes, I do but, a lot of very large pieces. So you're a very, you're, you're, you were and are a prominent artist. And in your 50s, 
uh, you and your husband decided, hey, you know what, we're going to we're going to invest in be silent partners, silent owners of a craft distillery. And then you ended up buying out your partners. And, and then there you are with no background and distillation, Correct. the crap, n- none of it. Correct. So I say that I do a lot of the front end in the sense of not really front end, but I do some of the marketing I deal with. I'm, I do a lot of the personnel, uh, personality things and stuff like that. I really am not about the distilling process. Like how, if someone says to me exact, explain exactly how it's done, I could probably snake through it, but that's not my, my dig. You know, I don't do that. Um, what I will tell you was that when I, when we took it over, we didn't even have our bottle designs yet. And I didn't know anything about production. And that was one of the things I was thrown into. And so, um, I, you know, I was kind of at the hands of, and there are sharks out there. And I was at one particular person's uh, that was doing things with our bottle. And I had told them that, and they said, listen, we can take care of getting you corks and capsules and labels and everything, as long as you do screen printing with us. And I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. How much are you gonna charge me for that? And he says, nothing, it'll be part of the process. So I was like, oh my God, that's great. I mean, I, I was willing to pay. Three months later, when I started to get into it and I started to crunch numbers and figure it out, he was triple dipping me on things. I mean, we spent probably $35,000 more in three months than we should have. It was a lot of money. But guess what? I had pulled him inside and I said, I'm drawing the line right here. From now on, we're moving forward. This isn't going to happen to me anymore. And so, but I did have a fellow along the way who um, created, who does my corks. And somehow I found him and he was very generous. He must have spent two, three hours with me on the phone the first time and had his, his phone was open to me at any point. And he walked me through the process of certain things of what I needed to do and how I needed to do it. And it was amazing. He was like a little guardian angel. And I'll tell you something, we still buy our corks from him. We've had multiple people come to us and offer us those corks for a cheaper price, but they'll never get it because my loyalty is 100% to this person who helped me get started along the way. He saved me so much time and, and energy and effort. And just, he gave me a lot of knowledge and for that I'll forever be loyal to him. And, and, and I think there's a few things for entrepreneurs and small business owners there. One, you aren't the expert on the distillery side of the business, but very clearly as a business owner, you can, you can hire somebody that is. Well, that's the biggest thing. You need to hire the best people. I mean, as you're the owner, you're the CEO, you can watch out, but I'm not going to be the person distilling back there, but I want to hire the best distillers. And I'm not going to be the person that's the chef that's cooking in the restaurant, but I'm going to hire the best chef that I can hire. And those are the things, if you hire the best people and they, and they have the same dream as you have, it works. You can't do it all. One person can't do it all. 
And I think that's, you know, for a lot of small business owners, they struggle. I know I have at various times with trying to do everything uh, just because you can doesn't mean you should. And, and if you're not the expert, you're going to put out a, a cheap or inferior product. And yeah. I think that the wisdom there is making the investment and getting the right staff on your team so that they can produce quality products and you can focus on running the business. Correct. See, and we have made some hires that we've had, we've had that weren't great, but you learn from each one. Um, our main core, though, have been with us almost from the beginning. Our chef is the same chef. Our uh, operations manager was our very first hire. Um, the distillers have both been there from the beginning. So we've had, our core is, is pretty solid. And, they and that's believe- probably... Yeah. And that's probably one of the, the surprises business owners get, which is just how costly employee turnover is from disrupting business to having to hire, train, start over again. So that's pretty impressive that you've had some folks that have been on the team and stayed on the team. Um, the other thing you mentioned is just the value in, in having a good supply chain and having a partnership, like with the company providing the corks. They obviously, you need a good product. You need to have a resource to help you if you have questions on something, their specialty, um, and you need them to stick around, even if it costs a little more. Right. Well, and things right now, things are really, really difficult. Grain's gone up. Insurance got, has uh, gone four times as much as it was. Whoa. Uh, the water, they're charging us more for our water. The, I mean, there's, there's been a lot of increases, but nobody wants to have an increase in the cost of the product, but you know, it's going to happen at some point. Just so, because we can. And, and when we look at your operation, so you talked a little bit about a restaurant, you guys have about 11,000 square feet of restaurant and bar area. Right. And then you have the, basically the, I call it manufacturing, but where you're producing spirits and then you guys, I believe you told me you have, you've put up about 6,300 barrels of spirits. Yes. We, um, one of the things we do pride ourselves on is that we do not source any darks. Well, we do source our brandy because we get that from the French region uh, in, the, in the cognac region. We, we do get that and we bring it in and then we put it in our used bourbon barrels. But our darks, meaning our our rye, our bourbon, our single malts, our weeded bourbon, any of those things, we've done them from start. We've never what they call sourced. Source is when you purchase your whiskey already made, either through um, a company you already buy a barrel; it's already in a barrel, or you bought the the raw product and you stuck it in a barrel. We've never done any of that. That's, that helps people get going. It helps people get on the map and they don't have to put up the time and the capital to have their own. So what is one of the things that separates us from a lot of other places is that we've never done that. So we have distilled, aged, bottled all right there at Driftless Glen in Baraboo. And if we, if we look at that, that ties back to you. For those that don't understand, a, a craft distillery is a smaller operation 
in comparison to large corporate branded products. And then along with that, you're privately held. I mean, it's, it's you and your husband that are the owners, which means you don't have to ask permission. So talk a little bit about the fact that you guys are, are self-funded. You're the only owners. You, you don't have stockholders. What does that allow you to do business-wise? Well, not only are we self-funded, but we have no debt. We've, we've paid for everything. So um, it allows us to make whatever decision we feel is best for the company. Um, we were very nimble. If something comes up and we decide we want to try to do it, we can do it. And we, we are, we're it. It's him and I, we talk about it 24 seven. Um, we discuss how it's growing, where it's going to go, how we're going to do it. And trust me in the beginning years, when we weren't able to put out any product because we were letting it age and people were like, Oh, put it out early. And that's a flaw because a lot of people want to get their product out. So they put it out early, but you have one chance for a person to try it the first time. If they don't like it, they're not going to pick it up again. So we never will put out a product that we're not proud of or that we don't, not that everybody will love it, but that we know that it is as good a product as we can make. So we're not going to put a product out there. That's not. And, uh, by him and I being the sole owners, that allows us to make those decisions. And it, and it sounds like I, I, for the business owners out there, as soon as you take money from others, meaning you sell stock, you sell an interest in your organization, you now are, are beholden to others. You're not in a position to make the decisions. And when we look at the craft distillery business, uh, you, the Driftless Glen brands, can make decisions solely based upon the best product. For, for sure. The it, best it's for us. We have, for instance, we have a product sitting in the rack house. It's a weeded bourbon. Um, we put up about 50 barrels to start with. It's coming on five years this March. March of 22 will be five years old. We haven't released it. But we've let people that have come up that are buying barrels, that are doing special things, we've let them taste it, Just, uh, distributors and so forth. Let them, we'll tap a barrel and let them taste to see what's what's hiding in the rack house. And everybody's sitting there saying, uh, let it go. It's great, let it go. But we didn't want to release it till five years. If we'd had investors that would be saying to us, we want you to send it out, we want it if we didn't own it, if we didn't have the opportunity to make those decisions, then we'd be, you know, at the hands of other people. And we've been able to make the decisions we want, not saying they're all perfect, but they're the decisions we've decided to make. And, and I think that's, that's huge for small business owners. A lot of businesses find themselves in a position where they're undercapitalized. They, they don't have the capital and right. as a result, they have to make decisions solely based upon their money short, where right. Driftless Glen's in a position where you can make decisions based on the good of your brand and your business. Correct. And that's, I mean, that, that goes back to, for the entrepreneurs and small business owners out there, that goes back to having had a pattern of behavior of being good stewards of your capital. You were good with your money, which is why you have the money to do this today. Right. Well, and you know, what's interesting is that some so we have barrels that are aging. We've got barrels that are four, five, six years old. 
And what's interesting is that we've had other companies reach out to us to purchase aged whiskey. Again, they would source it from us. They're not going to say it's Driftless Glen, but they'll source it from us, but purchase it. If we were in a capital crunch, it's one of the ways to get back some money. Now, mind you, you've taken it out of your inventory, so you actually are hurting yourself. But if you needed money right then, you could sell it. We've never done that. Only thing that we, we sell barrels, uh, we have sold some barrels to uh, bourbon groups. They purchase it at you know the cost that we choose, but we aren't selling to another company to put a label on at a, at a cheaper price. We just would never do it. And, and that's because you're in a position where you, you again, you're, you don't have to. Right. Right. We don't have to. And sometimes it's intriguing. Sometimes we've had people come to us and say, we'd like you to be part of this special blend. We're going to get some spirits, whether it's rye or bourbon from this craft and this craft, and we're going to blend it together. You know, big name people in the, in the industry and they want us to be a part of it. And we've said, no, sorry. Even and, though it and, could give you some marketing, we just, it's not what we want to do. So part of that, it, it sounds like it being willing to be patient. <laughs> yeah, you have to be very patient and you have to be able to afford to be patient. See, patience is, it's not just be, to be able to do it. You have to be able to afford to be patient because there's times where, you know, the money in the beginning when we were doing it, we were putting a lot of money every month to keep the distillery moving. And you question yourself, is this going to ultimately take off? This particular business is unique in the sense that we are the supplier. We, we're the one that's creating this, but we don't actually have control because the control is with the distributor. This is a three-tier system. So you have your supplier, your distributor, and then your retailer, whether it be on or off premise. On premise is your restaurants, bars. Off premise is your uh, liquor stores, grocery stores, wherever you purchase it. So I have to sell to a distributor and the distributor then takes it to the on and off premise. If you can't get a distributor to pick up your product, you're dead in the water. Nobody talks about that. And, and the big distributors, if they do pick your product up, they have no incentive to market it. So then you've got to go out there. Not only are you paying them to, to deliver it, but you've got to market it because they're not really doing that because they're doing it for some of the bigger companies that have more incentives. So the small guys, so we're, we're in a really nice position because we, we've gained momentum. We do a lot of marketing. We do a lot of um, television ads. Uh, we did radio. We do a lot of social media. We blasted everywhere. And the name is getting out there. So when the distributor, for us, the distributor now is an easier sell. And, um, but the alcohol business, the spirit business is very um, antiquated in its way of um, the way it's delivered. And, it, and it, it sounds like if you were short on cash, so you, if you were 
kind of hamstrung by capital and you took outside money in and that forced you to have a lower quality product, it'd probably be a lot harder to attract the interest of the distributors. Yes, you want me to wait? <laughs> no, no, go ahead. <laughs> Sorry. Someone must have driven up on the driveway. Um, the distributors, um, and every state is different. That's a un another unique thing within this business. So you have control states that are state run. You have um, a state like we're in, which is Wisconsin, where we are our home, where you do have a distributor. Uh, but every state's rules and laws are a little different. And that's another thing that is, you know, sort of draconian in the sense of no other business is like that. So those are all learning curves too, in the sense that other businesses may not have to deal with. Um, so, well, that yeah, it, by having having our own capital, we can make the decision that the spirit is good. We have thrown some spirits down the drain when we've done a trial and we didn't like it. And we said, nope, we're not going to put our name on that. And that's the other thing is that we've had other people come and they want to put our products something with our products and they want to put our name on it. And that, for instance, a beer, they want to put their beer in our barrel, age it in our barrel, but then, which is great. We love that. But then they want to put our name on it. Well, we don't know if the beer is any good. So I don't know that I want my name on something if I don't have control of what that is. So sure, we'll give you the barrel, we'll sell you the barrel, but that doesn't give you the right to put our name on. It. And it's your, I mean, it's your brand. It's At our brand. At the end of the day, that, that could right. bring down the whole house of cards. Correct. Right. And, and sometimes people think, oh, this is great. Your name, your name is going to be on this beer company and it's in, you know, wherever. And da -da -da. But what if the beer is bad? <laughs> what if it's a, it's, you know. Yeah. What do you do then? It's a black eye it. you can't get rid of. That's why we don't do it. Those are some of the things that sometimes they look like it's a, a positive, you know, people come to you and think, wow, this is a great opportunity. And then when you peel back the onion, you look at it and say, yeah, but this could be something that could destroy everything you've worked for. So you have to be very careful on what supposedly is an opportunity. Renee, probably one of the biggest I guess missed opportunities, misunderstandings is this. For the average person, they see the business owner in town or across town, or, or maybe they see the Driftless Glen commercial on television or see the, they see the ad on social media and they think, my gosh, you know, they've got vodka, they've got bourbon, they've got all these products. They must be killing it. The owners are probably rich, all these things. And it's, it's the classic, you know, like, Renee is an overnight success in the craft alcohol business. And, and, and that's not true. So you guys, you guys got involved back in 2000, what was it? 2013? No. Well, 11 is when we first decided to do it. Okay. We built, we built the distillery. Um, we started um, distilling, actually making products in 14. So it took us a while. We had to order the still uh, stills and then have them all installed. And that takes quite a while because we, we have one of the largest um, column stills.
by Vendome. So it's a copper still out of Kentucky and it is 44 foot a continuous column along with a 550 gallon pot still. We have a third still that we use for our uh, clears, but those are our, for our darks. And so it took us, you know, between the inception of coming up with it and being able to put the first drop of whiskey in, it was almost three years. So three years just for infrastructure so that you can turn, for lack of a better description, water to spirits. So right. you're three years deep and you're consuming capital. Yeah. And now it's 2014 and great, you can make alcohol. How long has it got to sit in a wooden barrel? So to be a straight whiskey, whether it be rye or bourbon, it has to be two years in the barrel. Okay, so sometimes people will, some of the craft distilleries, and we did it for the first few months, maybe eight, 10 months, we used what they make a smaller barrel, a 30 gallon, 25 or 30 gallon barrel. It's because it will age a little quicker in that. So our business plan was to do that so that it will age a little faster. We can get to market a little quicker. And then from there on, we've only done 53 gallon barrels. Um, and, but what's interesting is when you look at, and everything comes down to cost, everything comes down to the dollar, bottom line. When you look at what it costs you for a 25 or 30 gallon barrel, the cost of the barrel is about the same cost as a 53. So when you take that and you um, put that across all the bottles, your, the cost of your bottle is much more on a 25 or a 30 gallon barrel than it is on a 53. So you, it's all about your, your getting your costs in line. And, and you're, you're, with the smaller barrel, you're trading cost for time to market. So it, it allowed you to have a, a sellable product. Correct, quicker quicker than if you had to wait for the aging in the 53 gallon barrel. Correct. Correct. So right now our, we have five-year product. Our plan is to only put out five-year product. Um, so we have had to wait for that to age. Some, some barrels age quicker than others. It's just the nature of the game. It's, it's all about the weather. So the heat and the cold makes the alcohol inside expand and contract it goes in and out of the barrel inside of the barrel is charred we have it charred at four four char and that you get the sweetness that comes out of the oak by the by the alcohol going in and out of the barrel because of the differences in temperature so you have a barrel that's on the lower barrels higher the temperature differences is not the same. Therefore, even though it may have come down out of the still, we get about nine to 10 barrels on every uh, distillation when we, when we cook. The say barrel number one and barrel number four, depending on where they're located within the rack house, they don't taste the same. Just, and, and the wood is different. They're all good. I'm not saying they're not great but some age a little quicker than others. Different spirits age quicker than others. So um, yeah, it's, a, it's a, an art form in itself, just finding the right barrel, finding the barrel that you want to uh, put in the bottle. And, and you're still applying that, that five-year window. 
So your right. your product if production stops today, August the fourth of two thousand twenty one, that spirit is not coming out of the barrel and going into a bottle until August of two thousand twenty six. Correct. And that that's a, a long earliest. time. That's a long time. And that's well, at the, the earliest. Yeah. And the thing is, is that so then you have to have rack houses to store these. So we've got a lot of barrels up. We're we're at capacity right now. We're looking for another building. We've looked at uh, building another building or purchasing another building to put more barrels up because our business plan. So we have a business plan that we want to have 7,500 barrels aging at all time. That gives us the opportunity to have some barrels make it to 10 years or 15 years. We can hold them back. And yet if even though if we get to the point where we're selling 50,000 cases or however many cases, we have enough that we are pushing through the distillery that we can still hold some back for, for uh, you know, older, to make them older. And, and, and the lesson there for the, for the business owner is it's not an overnight success. I mean, you're going on 10 years since you broke ground and started on the infrastructure piece and now you're still talking about we get to this 70 some hundred barrel mark and then we are going to age product for 10 to 15 years. Correct. So the idea that if you're going to start a business or even if you're in business that you're going to go from zero to success tomorrow, it's just not, it, it doesn't happen. And, and most businesses don't enjoy success that quickly. And most people don't understand that there's a, you know, there's a gradual process. Right. Well, and the thing is, is that especially in the spirit industry um, and now they, it has exploded because it's kind of like this, um, this glamour sort of thing. People say, oh, we want to be in the craft whiskey business. And you see a lot of celebrities putting their names to it, or they say they have a, a company, but they didn't make it. They just sourced it, you know, which is okay, but they're, but there are small craft distilleries, uh, you know, coming up all the time. Well, if we go back to supply and demand, the supply and demand is on shelf space. So as you get more and more craft distilleries coming up, how do you get onto the shelf to be able to even have people try you? So, so it's, it, it, that's something nobody really, the other thing people don't talk about is that you might get a distributor to take you on, but now you've got to go sell it to a, to a either on-premise or off-premise and get on the shelf. And then, and, then and, you have to have the pull. Because if you don't have the pull, then you'll get cut. So in by shelf, you're basically in the liquor department. So anybody that's been in a grocery store, the liquor department or a liquor store, there's only, there's only so many square inches or square feet of shelf space. Right. And if you don't have a product that's quality, they're not going to put you on the shelf because they don't want, they don't want something right. there that doesn't sell. And they may try you. They may say, okay, I'd love to try this craft. And, and you know, what are you going to help? What are you going to do to help market it and get it off the shelf? So that's called a pull. How do you get the pull? Well, so you either have to do some marketing or you have to do tastings or you have to do something to help get the pull off the shelf. Because if your product sits on that shelf, you're going to get next and they're going to bring a different product in to see if it can move it. Because it's all about the turns. You got to turn it. And as, as more craft distillers enter the market, 
that competition for shelf space just increases. Correct. Correct. Exactly. And that's what you're seeing right now um, with, it's an interesting thing if you're looking at liquor stores with hard seltzers and or these other ready to drinks, RTDs, because so many people just dove right into it when they saw that it, there was a plane there that just went straight up. So people dove into it. And the next thing you know, you're, if you talk to the retailers, they're saying they get so many samples every day. They get samples on samples on samples. They, don't, they only have so much space. They're not going to pull it from, they're not going to pull it from the bud guys or, you know, so they have, they have only so much space that they can, they can try this. And, and I think that too, when you look at being a business owner, you have to have the intestinal fortitude to recognize and accept that there's going to be barriers, hurdles, and challenges. And you, if you have a good quality product, with drift, which Driftless Glen does, um, and I'm not just saying that, you can look at the awards, you can go to their website, you can see the awards, and I'll link it to where we put, when we post the video. Um, you have a good product, but you have to be willing to accept the fact that you're going to be fighting it out for shelf space, you're going to be fighting it out for the distributor to want to show you some love. Right. Absolutely. You have to do something unique too. You have to be, you have to be that extra special. Um, and the other thing is that you can just get lost on the shelf. I mean, you really, if you walk down when, when Brian and I, my husband and I started the business, we would do what we called a recon and we would walk down the big, you know, uh, liquor retail places and walk down the whiskey aisle. And there's whiskey after whiskey, after whiskey, after whiskey. And like, what ever differentiates yourself from the other one? What's going to make someone pull your bottle? Okay. So that's a big deal. So an interesting story about, um, our bottle is that when Maker's Mark came out with the red wax, they actually trademarked that. It's a dripped red wax on, the, on their bottle. So people could maybe didn't remember the name of the company because all of a sudden, it, you know, burst on the scene and this whole thing. People couldn't remember the name, but they would say, I want the one with the red wax. And so it was, it was genius, okay? And they trademarked. So other people may have wax on it, but they can't have the drip wax. So I remember walking down the aisle and saying something to Brian saying, listen, our name isn't an easy name and we have to do something to differentiate ourselves from every other bottle. You know, so if people remember us, if they don't remember our name, like with makers, they remember us. So that thus the reason like you have, it's a square bottle and then on either side of the bottle are Brian and my thumbprints. And so we, and it says tasty American spirit. So we say, we give it two thumbs up. So our theory behind it was people would say it's the square bottle with thumbprints. Hopefully now they remember the name, but in the beginning, that was the theory behind the bottle and everybody loves the bottle. So it evidently that was okay. <laughs> so in, in for the business owners out there, that that level of business intelligence. Like if you think about what Renee just said, her and Brian, the owners of the distillery, were the ones in the field doing the recon. So you're now granted, okay, 
you, who uh, there's some folks that might not want to, but who doesn't want to check out liquor or, or walk through the liquor department, look at wines, look at bourbon, maybe look at the beer or the craft beers and things of that nature. But at the end of the day, I, I think the lesson for the business owner is you have to get involved. Like just cause you're the owner, you still have to work. Oh, you, you can never stop. You can't take your foot off the gas. You can never do that. If, if you do, you're going to falter. And if you think you're going to hire someone to do your job, it doesn't work that way because it's your business. Like I said, Brian, and I talk about it 24 seven. We deal with it. We think about it. And sometimes I'll pick up the phone or I'll, I'll want to text our operations manager and I'll realize it's Saturday evening or Sunday in the morning. And, and Brian go, Renee, I go, but I'll say you don't have to respond, but if I don't remember, I won't remember to do it on Monday. So I'm just going to go ahead and do it. And, and I always write in there, I know, you know, it's a bad time or whatever. I know it's your your day off, but, but do this on Monday morning when you first come in. And those are the habits of successful business operators, owners, and entrepreneurs. And, and we don't, oftentimes people don't realize that it, it goes back to the overnight success. They forget that Brian and Renee spent 10 years of investing capital, time, blood, sweat, tears into the business to get it to where it's successful. And then you still have to get up and work the business there. Yes. You can have some time to do other things, but when work's got to get done or you're inspired, if the inspiration's now, you're not going to say, well, I'll wait two days until Monday. No, it's, you go now. I, that's the way we work. And uh, people kind of giggle because I say grass doesn't grow under my feet. When it, when I'm going to do it, I'm going to get it done. And, and I also need to have people around me that are like that as well, because it is a, it's very difficult to deal with people if they don't, I don't, I don't say they have to work at my speed because I, I kind of am that person that goes, 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 Brian will say I'm ever ready battery or whatever it is, keeps going. But, but I, I want them to have that same enthusiasm. I want them to have that same uh, love for the company. And they do, they really do. But um, they're never going to have the same as Brian and I, because it's our baby. It's our child. And that's how you can't, and you can't outsource that. Like it's, this is kind of beating the dead horse, but you, you can't expect your employees to no. be you. They're not the owners. And some, some people want to be and are happy to be employees. But if you want to be a business owner, you can't delegate that. You can't outsource. You can't delegate. Like, uh, so I have a bottle of the Driftless Glen lemon-flavored lemon vodka sitting here. And the bottle is square. And it's very distinct when you pick it up and you put your fingers. Because when you grab the bottle, if you haven't picked one of these up, and I encourage you to go to your favorite grocery store, liquor store, check it out. If they don't have it, ask them to carry it. Um, when you pick the bottle up, you can't help but notice the fingerprints. And, and you couldn't, if you told people to go walk the aisles and look at the other brands and come up with a way for Driftless Glen to stand out, this wouldn't have happened. This happened because it was the owners getting involved in doing the work. So we, and we also looked at what colors, what, what, drove your eye to a certain thing, not because you know the name, okay? Because you, you know a name, but was it a shape of something or was it a color? Was it was it foil or was it, 
So we've just rebranded our um, our labels after five years. So we it took us two years. I mean, labels are a four letter word in our family. Okay, it just was so hard to do because we had certain elements that needed to stay within the bottle to be, um, to keep the name so you didn't lose your branding. So the windmill is important. We had to keep the windmill. Um, there were certain things that we needed to do. And, um, but we do, and I have a bottle here. This is our, our Driftless Glen 51 Rye. Um, you can see the labels now are two types of foil. So the color of the foil of the windmill and the name are the, are the differenti differentiating of each spirit. So if it's green, it's rye. Um, if there's a, a white one or gold or whatever, it might be different strengths or, or so forth. But each one, so we have a whole lineup with different color foil. Um, we actually have a, a pink one, especially pink uh, bourbon small batch coming out for October for uh, cancer awareness and proceeds from each bottle will go to the local cancer um, facilities. So. so five years deep, the work doesn't stop. The owners no. are still involved. You're, you're reinventing, you, you, you have a product and I, I don't have one of the darts here today um, in part because we consume them. Um, but the, the work doesn't stop for the owner. You know, the, the label may have been good enough to get started, but good enough doesn't keep the business going. So here you are, you're reinventing the labels. And then is there not also some government requirements as well, which no, play no into what has sure. to be on the label? Right. There are. And, and, and let me explain why we wanted to redo the label as well. Um, Again, with the recon, when the bottle is on the back shelf at a bar, the name, we felt like your, your name didn't stand out enough. You couldn't read it. So not our personally our name, but like bourbon whiskey or, you know, so some of the stuff, I just felt like it, it, it wasn't strong enough, which was one of the reasons why we redid it. So when we were, when we were, working on the label, we would put it back up far away. Can we read it? What's it look like? Um, is it sexy? So when someone comes and sits at the bar and they don't know what kind of whiskey and they look and they go, oh, I'll try that one. You know, what's that one? Um, those are some of the things that you have to think about to get someone again to take, try yours. Once they try our spirit, we're good because we know we have a really good spirit just got to get them to try. And that's not just with ours, but that's with any craft distillery out there. So, so again, there's, there's that consistent effort and the business intelligence from the field to know that you have consumers that might take a seat at the bar and they may notice that shiny label and, and say, Hey, what's that? Correct. I've never heard of it. I'll, I'm a, I'm a whiskey drinker. I, I'll try some. Right. And also, I got to think, too, if, if I'm the bartender and the bar is dimly lit, it's late at night and I'm tired, I, I probably appreciate being able to turn, go to the shelf and easily find the spirit I need to make the drink 
And it, it may make me a little bit more inclined to push that brand upon my bar patrons because right. it makes my job easier. Right. I, I mean, there's there's so many things that people don't think about that go into, I mean, the big companies have a whole marketing team that work on this and they, and they, they come up with all sorts of stuff and they're, and that's why sometimes if you see a bad commercial, you're like, wow, how'd they let that slide? That was a bad one. But, but it was, it's just Brian and I, and we do have a marketing girl and she's great. Now we have a, we have someone that's just fabulous, but uh, working on these things is a, those are the things you had to take into consideration. You had to look at it and say, as a consumer, take yourself out of the business role as a consumer. How am I going to pick this up? I need to do whatever I can do to get that to be the, the spirit you choose. And, so, you're, and yeah. you're not, you don't have layers of bureaucracy. No. Or a committee to vote on. Well, I no. don't like the foil. It's, right. it's your decision. And by the same token, you have to live by that decision. Correct. Good or bad. Right. So when, it, good, when the bad happens, win. when the bad happens, you, it's all on you too, you know? But what we can do is look at it and say, okay, we made a mistake. We'll, we'll just get rid of that and do something else, which we've done. We've, we've had to get rid of some things. All right. Smallbusinessgrow.com. We have a super successful in the craft distillery industry, Renee Bemis. She's the CEO and owner of one of the largest craft distilleries in the United States. Uh, if you haven't heard of them, check them out in your local liquor store, grocery store, your favorite watering hole. If they don't carry it, make sure you ask them to get some in. Um, so Renee, you guys, you, you make alcohol, but really your business is bigger than that. So there's a couple, like I typically call them profit centers. There's a, a few places where most of the revenue comes in. So you have about 11,000 square foot bar and restaurant. Thanks. You have some retail space and then you wholesale your products to distributors, as you said in a prior segment, the distributors then sell to the on-premise or off-premise. So whether it's a, a bar and restaurant where people consume your alcohol there, or they sell it to a store and people buy the packaged goods and bring them home. Uh, walk us through what, what, where, where do you make money? Like, where's the revenue come in? So, so what are um, those profit centers? So we have two profit centers in the sense of you have your front end, which we call, um, it, it consists of our restaurant, our bar and our retail. Our retail has, we can sell our own products out of retail as well as um, clothing, you know, all kinds of stuff that has to do with distillery. Yeah, oils and vinegars, <laughs> there you go. Um, so, and the reason for the oils and vinegars other than the fact that they're so fabulous. Now, we don't make those, we purchase those through a company from California that gets fresh oil every, every six months from whichever hemisphere. So our oil is always so fresh and the vinegars are so amazing. The reason we had that in our, um, at our distillery, and not only do we use it in our cooking, is because of, in Wisconsin, you can own it behind the bar. You can only serve what you make. So if someone wants a martini with vermouth, we can't do that. Or bitters that have alcohols in them or tequila or 
wrong. So what we do is we use our vinegars like shrubs and we use those in our drinks. So we do a blackberry old fashioned and we use the blackberry ginger uh, vinegar or a Granny Smith old fashioned and it's a green apple vinegar. And our oils and vinegars are used in our drinks and it makes us unique. So when you come up to the front end, we have packages. It might be a lemon drop um, package or driftless old fashioned or a, or a, a Bloody Mary. And you'll get an alcohol along with a vinegar and, and recipe and whatever is needed to make that particular drink that you can get at our bar. So, so you, getting back to ahead. you were talking about the revenue. So the front end includes the sale of all the oils and vinegars and anything else in the retail, clothing, uh, Yetis, you know, right, clothing. Uh, and then you have the restaurant and bar. And then the, and the second entity is the actual wholesale. So it's our product that we are now, we're in over 20 states. We've just um, shipped to the UK. We shipped to Costa Rica and we're working with um, the FDA in a possible export to India. So, so in, in on the front of the house, you kind of have turned a, maybe a challenge or hurdle, which is in Wisconsin, if you're selling a, a drink from the bar, it's gotta be something you made. So right. you took and combined, integrated your products, right. and then that allows you to sell the drink at the bar, but then also you can pair things and provide them as right. package goods for your, right. your patrons, your customers to right. take home and enjoy at home. Correct, and, and we make, we do a lot of R&D. So we have a, if people love margaritas. Well, we don't make tequila, but we have a double cast gin and we have a margarita made with our double cast gin that knocks your socks off. So we've done some research on, we even can make a drink that kind of simulates a sangria or a, you know, people that just want wine because we can't serve wine either. Um, so, but I always like to giggle go, but you're at a distillery, don't you want alcohol? You're not, you know, uh, but we have fine dining and we're also unique in Wisconsin because we don't have a deep fryer. So when you come to the distillery, you're not getting French fries or deep fried fish or anything along that line. You're going to get um, a brandy crusted salmon or, or you're something with our alcohol, you know, a so bourbon again, glazed something. So again, you're kind of working and integrating. Always. Yes, you have a kitchen. It's higher end food. Uh, like you said, there's no there's no fryer in the kitchen. So it, it's a it I guess for lack of a better description, higher end cuisine. And yes. then once again, you're integrating in your products. Yes, we are. It, the one time uh, we did try to integrate our our spent grain, uh, which is after you've distilled, you know, the grain that's uh, not used, the spent into um, rolls or, you know, something to serve like that, but it just, it wasn't right. So um, instead we give it to the local farmers and they feed it to the cows, they give it to the cows. So we just have, we, we have a really good deal with them and they come, they pick it up, we don't charge them and the, and the cows come running, they love it. 
So you're repurposing the spent grain and it's going back to your local community. And we're a hundred percent, um, uh, sustainable. So our, our water, our effluent that comes off of the, um, still goes into a tanker and the tanker gets hauled to an anaerobic digester that makes energy. So we're 100% sustainable. So you're in, in that too is a lot of times people don't realize, especially the, the hopeful small business owner is you're, you're, you're not far beyond talking about just making alcohol. Now you're, you're talking about multiple profit centers, integrating things so that you can sell drinks from the bar. And then, Hey, how do we repurpose our, our byproducts, the spent grain in the water. And now you've got a sustainable operation and you're feeding livestock at, at no cost. Right. Right. No, it's a pretty cool, I mean, the energy of the place, everything about it is just wonderful. And people that come there, they feel it because I think we all, we all feel it. And I think the biggest thing is that um, we have hired great people. They are all team DG. We, we, we call it DG at in-house because shorter than Driftless Fun. <laughs> so, um, so they're all team DG and they, what, what Brian and I have done, we've empowered them within their own uh, part of the business that they're their own boss in a sense. Like our front end manager who takes care of the restaurant and the retail and so forth, you know, he's responsible, but, and he's accountable, but he also gets the accolades when it does well. Like last month, July, we had our best month ever in the front end, huge month. And we were closed two days a week because we don't have enough kitchen help. And we've tried to hire and we can't, we can't hire. So we're closed two days a week. And yet we still surpassed any month in any year by, you know, just huge amounts, huge numbers. So we're very proud of him for that. And a lot has to do with the product. People are coming in, they're buying it out of the retail side and they're just coming in, they're taking it. Yeah. So retention, and and that's huge. Like you touched on it. If if you've only tuned into this segment of our our conversation with Renee from Driftless Glen, you might've missed it, but you, you talked about you have some employees that have been with you for the long haul. What, what are you doing to retain the, the right staff? You know, that's a great question. I think, um, I think a lot has to do with they believe in the company. Um, they know they are there. They were there from the start. So the inception, that's kind of a cool thing to know and see the vision and know that the business is going to grow. We've paid well. Uh, we gave a nice bonus last year. We hope to give a really good bonus this year. Um, and that's not their incentive, but I think that, but what we're saying to them is we appreciate how hard you work. So we want to, to give you something in return on that. Um, but I think it's the fact that they, they do feel important within their element of the company. So the chef, we don't tell our chef what to make. We don't tell him that we want to have certain um, dishes on the menu. He changes the menu up every season and it's, it's on him. 
So if it's good, it's on him. If it's bad, it's on him. So he's good. But, you know, he it's his decisions, what he what he's going to put on there, the unique things that he's going to choose to promote. Um, the uh, distillers themselves, you know, they'll come up and they'll say, hey, we'd like to try this or try that. Maybe uh, we've done a port finished bourbon. So we purchased, you know, I dealt with a company and brought some port barrels in from Portugal because they wanted to, to do a port finished bourbon. Uh, we've done a Dean Ranha, which is an orange, a Seville orange uh, bourbon. I mean, barrel that we put our bourbon in that we're going to release this fall. So they, and they take a lot of pride in their product. They're the ones making it. You know, Driftless Glen, their name is on that bottle. Everything in that bottle, they made that bottle. We, and we give them that credit. So when we do a business meeting, when we have our, all the big, the heads of each company, uh, each department come in, we're very transparent. Um, the marketing person tells what they're doing and how they're doing it. Anybody can ask a question. The front end talks about theirs. We all, the distillers talk about what's going on in the back end. Um, and everybody knows what everyone's doing. And it's, that's important because everybody feels a part of the company. And that, and, and we've had, we've had other entrepreneurs and executives basically say the same thing is we, our staff understands what we're doing and they buy into it. They feel like they're a part of it and we give them ownership and we kind of step back and let them do their own thing in their department or division. And it, and it works. We do. We only step in if there's an issue of something and we feel like, you know, something isn't going the way we, we want it to, but we're open. If, if someone comes to us and say, Hey, we'd like to try this. We're open to it. Now, even the marketing, even our marketing girl wants to do unique little items in the front end. We'll say, sure, we'll, we'll try it. What's worst case scenario. We end up having to put it on sale to get it, get rid of it. But, you know, um, like we have Frisbee golf discs with Driftless Glen on them. We don't know, but we did it and we'll see how, but there's people buy them. And what, yeah. What if it works? You know, it's always, uh, well, what if this doesn't work, but what if it does? Right. Right. You won't know if you don't try it. Right. Exactly. So, um, so we have with that, our employees, uh, I do believe that they really enjoy working at Driftless. Brian and I are not um, difficult uh, owners in the sense of we don't, I don't think we put a lot of demands on them, you know, in the sense of ex- expectations, but we never forget to inspect what we expect, which is really a big one. So you have to do that. Now, what about growth? What do you guys, how do you grow? Like what's your secret sauce to grow the business, to sell more? You know, um, that's a good question because we grow the business. Brian and I are always thinking about how we're going to push the needle. How do we go about doing it? What events do we want to try? What, you know, um, how do we get people to see the company? So growing the business, we've done a lot of different things with marketing. We've tried, we believe in the social media. Um, why we hired a young marketing person who's brilliant with social media, because if you look at it, that does, that's where a lot of people are, are getting their information. 
the younger generation, I don't know what the generation is called, uh, but between 23 and 40, they uh, get a lot of their information from social media and they are willing to spend the money for something that's hand done, artisan done, that is 100% sustainable, that is good for the environment. They're willing to sp spend the few extra dollars for that, especially if it tastes good. And that's one of the things we are promoting because that's what we do. And our company, that's the other thing. We're pretty, Brian and I are the old people. Almost everyone within our company, other than our, our chef and our front end manager, are young, early, early 30s and younger. I mean, they're, everybody's young in the company. So that I would argue. I would argue you guys are as well, just by your energy. <laughs> yeah, well, we can have question on that level. But, you know, but the thought process, and one of the things that Brian and I both do, and probably he even better than me, is that he realizes that we are older in the sense of how you need to market to people, how you need to make your business grow. He's, we're very open to looking at different ways that the old way may not still be the way to do it. Though we are still doing um, advertising in the, on television, but we chose certain channels on which to be on, you know, like the Food Network, HGTV, Disney, things like that, where, where you're gonna hit a certain demographic. Um, but we are, we're smart enough to realize that we need to listen to the younger people and how they, how they see the world. So how you can grow by that. And, and you kind of, and, and I should have asked you this much earlier on, what, there's a huge opportunity in understanding the business's customer. And that means you, you really have to know who your customer is, which, which means the demographics. So right. what demographic does Dripless Glen serve? So who's consuming your product? What's, what is your demographic? Well, actually... It runs across the board, but the but the people that buy the single barrel, they're those guys, women and guys, I'd say they're somewhere between 45, 25 to 45, maybe 50. Um, they're the ones that are really trying the whiskey. The older, older generation do love it, but they have a tendency to go to their their old one that they always go to, whether it's Jack Daniels or Jim B. You know, they they've always just gone to that. That's what they get they're not as willing to try new things. Um, but once they do try us, they love us. And since we, our costs are pretty um, competitive, that's one of the things we've had to be is very competitive, then they're willing to switch. So that's the big key is how do you get them to switch from something that they've been used to, to try yours. And, uh, you know, if we all knew that we'd be, we'd all be, Winners, <laughs> but, you, you, exactly. You'd be super successful, but the demographics, though, is is just even understanding that point. Is there your? I would say that I don't know your industry. I'm not an expert in it, but I would say that you nailed it. That older consumer is probably stuck in her or his ways, and they're going to grab the old favorite. Correct. Um, and there, and you probably have the business intelligence to know within a couple years of how old that person is. So right. you recognize that, hey, if, we, if we're if we going to get them to consume our product, 
we have to be priced competitively. And then we also need to say, how do we put it in their hands? Like we need them to try it. And, you know, you're never going to be able to be as low as, as the big boys, you know, they bring their grain in on trains and they, and they have, they're humping, you know, hundreds of millions of bottles out. You're not going to be able to be competitive with them because their costs per unit is, it's so low. I mean, I don't even know what it would cost for their bottle, but I've heard a story. I heard a story once about one of the big companies. They got their bottle to be a little bit thinner in glass. So it was cheaper, but when it would go down the bottling line, lots of times they would crash and they would break because the, the glass was cheaper. But they did a cost analysis. It was still less expensive. It was still better for them, their bottle line, to lose product on the floor and have the cheaper glass. And that's how, so sometimes, I mean, you're, you're dealing with pennies there. So we don't deal with that. I mean, our, it's, that's not the way it works for us. So we, to and, be cost competitive, it's difficult. And that goes back to the benefit of being solely owned, Correct. independent, nimble, and having the upper, you know, not being cash strapped. So right. you, you're, you're not undercapitalized. So you can look at it and say, yes, we can save a couple pennies a bottle. Um, but we're not interested in that. We want to put the best product on the shelf or into the glass. Because these big companies have shareholders and they have quarterly earnings and they have to show that, you know, that, so they're accountable to that and they have to do that. Um, we don't, you're right. And talk about capitalization, this particular industry, you have to have a lot of capital because you have to wait to grow. When you talk about small business to grow, you know, you want to grow, but you have to wait to do it. Because if you do it too soon, you may ruin your whole chance. And that's, that's something unique with maybe in this business versus others. And you have to be careful not to grow too fast too soon. Because the other problem is let's just say you, shoot off the charts and everybody wants your product. Now you can't give them your product. So now all of a sudden they don't, they can't find your product and they move on. So you have and to you be have that, careful. And you have that five-year runway where yeah. if you put, if, if you fill a barrel, it's going to sit for that five years because right. you want to put a quality product out and you, you can't service demand. If they want it today, they, they're not waiting five years. Right. So we have to have enough backlog. And that's why I said it took us so long before we launched certain things, because with our business plan, we thought if we sold this many cases and this and this. So, you know, we couldn't we couldn't release until a certain time. And And that's that's, huge. That's that's very significant. And that goes back to so many, so many times people pay little to no attention to the fact that, you know, things don't happen. Success doesn't happen overnight. And, and if it does, they're like in your case, there's a decade on the front end of right. making mistakes, as I like to say, taking good notes, saying, we're not going to let that happen again. Write it down, you know, pay attention, and then repeating for a decade, and then boom, you're successful. Um, and, and back to the demographics, because clearly, you know, you guys understand your consumer enough to know that you need to have the right staff that 
is in tune with that consumer, especially when you look at growth and not understanding your demographic is a significant mistake for a lot of businesses. And you guys have, have paid attention and, and you know, we need these people in these positions because they can reach that demographic. Well, and everybody's a little different. We have a, a rep for Wisconsin and he's, you know, he's a unique guy. He's out there, he's humping all the time, but he and I are the ones that we work together. Um, and it's interesting because you have to keep encouraging them to do well, keep going out there, keep fighting. And, um, and you have to give a lot of accolades because it's a hard job. It's a really hard job. He's the one out there pushing the product. So, um, you know, you, he's great. He's wonderful, but it takes a lot of energy. <laughs> and it's not in sale in, in sales is a hard game. And when I got into sales or when I was offered my first sales position, the sales director's first question to me was in, in, in the interview, how do you feel about being told no? And I was like, what? And he's like, sales is mostly being rejected. Right. But then being willing to go to the next person and ask again, how do you feel about that? See, I have no problem that my, my husband, Brian will tell me I'm the best salesperson because I have no problem with somebody telling me no. I, I, in my other worlds and stuff, I'll just pick up the phone and I'll call. I ended up, we had a product that didn't come to fruition, but I had a product and I wanted to do, it was a rock and ride. And it had a, uh, on the label, it had a guitar and I wanted to work something in with a charity. And anyway, make a long story short, I ended up uh, calling Fender Guitars, which, you know, are one of the biggest guitar companies. And I was pretty persistent and left a message and left a message. Finally, the person picked up the phone who was the CEO. I don't know how I got his name, but I researched it and found it. And he goes, I had to talk to you because I've never had anyone be so persistent. <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, and then we got to like the 11th hour and it was great. We had a wonderful relationship and everything. It was great. And then the, the board, now you go to the board and the board went, we're not sure we want to do alcohol with a guitar with, with children because it was for charity for kids and stuff. And they're like, oh, we're not sure. And it ended up getting trashed. But, but the point was that when I got him online and I, I got off the phone, I told Brian who I was talking to, he goes, how'd you do that? I go, I just kept calling until he answered. And, and finally he said, okay. So, but I've had other people say no, and I'm like, okay, well, thank you for taking the time, appreciate it, and, and that's it. But I don't take it personally. It's not me. They didn't reject me. It's didn't want onto the onto the next one, and yeah. and that's it, it's not like you. Okay, we're successful, so we're done. No. You still have to make the phone calls. You still have to encourage your staff. That you know, oftentimes the staff is in the front lines. They're they're taking all of the arrows and you have to keep pulling the arrows out and saying, all right, you're doing good. Get back out there. Like so, keep you know, going. And we're both very accessible. I I'm more than Brian because of Brian with all the other companies. Yes. But I'm very accessible. So if you want to pick up the phone and you call up there and you need to talk to me, you'll get me, you know, my cell number is on all my emails. People call me and I will talk to 
anyone from anywhere. So that's unique in the sense that you can actually speak to the CEO of the company and they really do appreciate it. And I'm willing to talk to people. I've had people call and say, Hey, can I pick your brain on stuff? And, and I, I give them a lot of information. Um, everything that I try to give them is helpful information so they don't make some of the same pitfalls that we, that we struggled through. Um, just by, you know, doing something and passing it on and paying it forward. And hopefully they do it for the next person. Yeah. Hey, here, learn from our mistakes. Correct. Yeah. And, and, and that's, that's kind of what we're trying to do by doing these videos is there's even in, even if it's a different industry, it, you can take what Renee is doing and is found to be successful. And some of the things she's talked about and apply them in your own industry. And that's the same, that that's your pay it forward by picking up the phone and, and answering the call and sharing some, some war stories is even if it's a dip for this video and for my intent and purposes, even though it's a different industry, you can still go and apply this to whatever business you're in. And, and if, there's someone, value. If, if someone from your uh, listening to your uh, podcast wanted to call me, I wouldn't have a problem, even if it wasn't within my own industry. I mean, I'm, I might be able to help. I might not, but I'm certainly would be willing to answer some questions, you know, you can never forget where you came from. You can never forget. That's the other thing that um, people when supposedly become successful, um, they get too big or they forget. That's why I said, I'm why I'm so, you know, accessible is because you just can never forget that. I mean, I, it wasn't that long ago. It was 10 years ago, but it wasn't that long ago that I was in the trenches and I won't forget that. And I won't forget that fellow that helped back to the corks and your supply chain and the reason you keep that vendor, that supplier, Correct. um, 2020, the lost year is, I call it the, the year that was stolen from us. Yeah. Uh, how did, how did Driftless Glen pivot? What'd you guys do different? We were great. Um, so multiple things, a, we never stopped distilling because that's the back end. Um, B, for whatever reason, when Brian and I started our marketing, we decided to do our push on at off-premise, meaning uh, liquor stores, grocery chains, you know, big companies like that, versus on-premise. On-premise, they buy one bottle. Sometimes it's hard. There's a lot of, you know, schmoozing and stuff. And we felt like we wanted to do a more organic growth. So we were going to go via off-premise. Well, lo and behold, 2020 comes and the restaurants and bars are closed. So people are going to buy their alcohol because granted, they still drink, okay? Good times <laughs> and bad, drink. Um, they, they went and they purchased our alcohol. So we personally, we did great on that level. We furloughed for a couple weeks um, and we paid all of our employees full pay. We had the restaurant closed for about two months and then we opened back up what we did in regards to hand sanitizer because hand sanitizer was the big thing, you know, craft distilleries refurbished everything, re switched everything over. They're doing hand sanitizer because um, ethanol was the thing that the people that wanted to make hand sanitizer can't get. Okay. Which is what a distillery is ethanol plant basically. But um, 
the other two products, which is hydrogen peroxide and glycerin, are easy. Okay, well, both Brian and I were concerned that the FDA, that the government might come in and say, all you people that switched over to doing this are now, you know, are going to get charged or there's going to be a fine. Or we, we just, we weren't sure because to legally do it, you should have had a licensed chemist or, or a pharmacist to create this. So what we did was we donated the ethyl. So when, right as the pandemic hit, you know, the hospitals, um, everybody was calling us and asking us if, if we were making hand sanitizer. And we said, no, but we'll give you what you need to make it. We'll give you, we, so, so we gave, uh, donated hundreds of gallons of ethanol to different places without, throughout Wisconsin. Um, couple months later, we, we started making it ourselves, but pretty much just for when we opened to have it on our tables. So we have hand sanitizer on all our tables. We had it around everywhere. Um, you could buy it at the retail store if you wanted to, um, but we did not do a big push to try to sell it. You know, we gave it away. So you guys were able to pivot short term. No one's coming to work. Uh, close the restaurant for a couple months. Right. Shift some production or shift some we, ethanol. We closed, we closed the restaurant, but we kept all our salary employees and paid them. So instead, we had them come in and they cleaned and they, you know, not every day, but we we did a deep clean and because um, we felt like that they should. We didn't want to lose our employees. So, and, took- and so you made, you were able to make an investment in the staff. So they still got paid. And, and then they also came in and made an investment into yep. the brick and mortar by getting it ready for right. one day, the virus will be gone and we'll be open and we'll be ready. Yeah. Right. So, so 2020 though, was a, a lost year was a good year for us. We did good. We were okay. And, um, it's been difficult on some distribution levels because some of the places have a harder time, but, but in July and August of last year, once we did open our doors to so the restaurant was booming. And now, like I, I told you earlier, last month we had the best month ever by far ever. And it's like the roaring twenties. People want to be out. They want to, they want to go out. They're ready.
smallbusinesstogrow.com. We are spending some time, if you haven't watched the other videos with Renee Bemis, she's the CEO and owner, co-owner of Driftless Glen, one of the largest craft distilleries in North America. And Renee, what are, so if you haven't watched the other videos, this is the production of, of alcohol. It's, so there's manufacturing, there's sales, there's marketing, there's advertising. There's an 11,000 square foot front of house restaurant and bar with high-end cuisine. All of these things, Baraboo, Wisconsin, right by the popular Wisconsin Dells uh, vacation area. But when we look at everything you have going on, Renee, and, and you didn't grow up in this industry. You didn't yeah. go to school for manufacturing. You're not <laughs> a chemist. Yeah. Um, in fact, you're uh, one of the top bronze sculpture sculptors probably in the world so you're an artist but here you are you're you're making whiskey you're making vodka you're retailing olive oils and infused vinegars you've got 50 some employees at any given time a few thousand barrels in rick houses of alcohol what, what have you learned as far as like, what are your top three must do's in business? And then what are the top three don't do's? So thank you for having me on. Um, top three must do's. So I think when you start a new company, you must have enough capital. And then when you think you have enough, you probably need more because there's always the stuff that comes up that you're not aware of. And I think the old rule of thumb was to have three months worth of capital or something to keep you going, but not in our industry. Our industry you need years worth of capital because you have to age your spirits. Um, but you need to have enough capital so that you can make the best decisions for your company, not on the fact that you're trying to keep your doors open. Okay. Cause sometimes that doesn't, you can't always make the best decisions. Um, I would hire the best people I can for each position because they are, you know, the expert in that particular field. So when you hire those people, then it allows you to do what you need to do, which is be the person at the top overseeing certain things. And you're, you're listening to the experts. You're not trying to be the expert in everything because you can't be, you just, you just can't know it all. Um, I'd have a great business plan to start with. I'm not sure how you would go about making, I mean, we did have a business plan and it was not, um, it wasn't perfect because we did not know every aspect of the business when we made the business plan. So if I were to make the business plan today, it would be very different. Um, I, but I will say we're nimble enough to grow and change our business plan to work with what we're doing. So that was that was a good thing. Um, Got to move the needle every day. Uh, make people responsible for and accountable for their departments, and make it enjoyable. Make it a fun place to work. Make people want to come to work. That's a real problem in this day and age. People don't want to work. So you have to find a way to make people want to work for you and for the company or for your, whatever it is that you're trying to push. Those are, um, I think those are really important. What about the don't do's? 
Um, don't take your foot off the gas because if you do, you're going to get displaced. You need to keep going and going, going. Um, uh, my husband would say, don't hire family, <laughs> though family businesses are important. Family also causes, um, you know, internal strife and struggles and stuff like that. Um, and don't forget where you came from, because if you don't forget where you came from, you can always keep growing. When, when people forget, they, they lose sight of other people, you know, like, um, you, one of the things that people talk about with our government, they say that they don't understand that they don't know what the, what the average American person is feeling or doing or whatever they're, they're out of touch. You need to stay in touch with your clients, with your clientele or your customer. You need to understand what they want, what they're looking for and try to provide it at the best price. So there, so there again, there's some must do's and don't do's by Renee Bemis and Driftless Glenn. And this is advice. And this is why we're doing these videos, you know, is to give you a wheel. You take the wheel, put it in your business and get rolling. And this is somebody that owns and operates a business that has distribution in 26 states, a couple countries, 11,000 square foot restaurant. They do millions a year in revenue. They survived COVID. There's a lot of value in everything Renee just said. So take it apart, take what you said apart, look at how it can apply to your business, save yourself the time, headache, and effort of inventing the wheel. Just take hers and get rolling. Because I didn't ask before, and I meant to do this, it's in my notes that are right in front of me on my big monitor. Um, I want to ask you, I want you to say what, what different spirits you guys have, because we didn't talk about that. Oh, um, well, we make a bourbon whiskey, a rye whiskey, a 51 rye, which is a, a different type of um, formula. We produce uh, a single American malt. We have a weeded whiskey. We do a port finished bourbon. I think we have like 13 different. We've got three vodkas, a lemon, a cucumber, and a regular vodka. We have four gins. We have a Navy strength, which is 114 proof, an American. Um, a double cast, that's a gin that we take after we've run it through the still. We take half of the product and put it in a new oak barrel and take the other half and put it in an aged oak barrel. And after a certain amount of time, we blend those two together. So that's called a double cast gin. It's a dark gin. And then we have a, a gin called Wisconsin gin. It's got um, a lot of different... Uh, florals and botanicals in it. It's it's not your typical gin. It's got a little bit of a, a spearmint forward taste. So people that are not really gin lovers really like that. And then we have a brandy that we source from um, France, the Cognac region, and we bring it back. It's five-year brandy and we bring it back to Baraboo and then we age it in our spent bourbon barrels for a year or more. And so it's a really wonderful brandy. I think that's all our products. Now let's go back to the, the dark spirits. What is the difference? Like what, what's a bourbon and what's a whiskey? What's the difference? 
Um, what makes a spirit dark is putting it in the barrel. Okay, so it comes off the still clear. It's uh, called white dog. Um, it comes off, one of the unique things with Baraboo, one of the reasons we chose Baraboo was about the water. So people always talk about Kentucky bourbon because it's about the water. Well, why water is important is because when it comes off the still, it can come off the still at 160 proof, 140, whatever proof you have it coming off the still. And then you have to cut that to a certain um, proof before you put it in the barrel. Can't be over, I think it's over 127 is the highest you can go in the barrel. But we, we usually put it in the barrel at 117, okay? So how do you get that, that alcohol that's come off the still at 160 proof to 116 to go in the barrel? You have to cut it with water. Well, our water is the most delicious water because it comes, um, we're at the base of where the glaciers come down and they, they go through like 700 feet of sand and limestone. It's its own aquifer. So our water is clean and delicious and wonderful. So we cut our spirit with our water. Anyway, then that spirit goes into the barrel and as it ages, it goes, the spirit with the hot and cold, it will condense, it will go in and out of the, bar of the barrel and that's what gives it the dark. So it's the barrel that colors your whiskey. It's the char on the inside and the oak that when the spirit expands and contracts into the barrel and collects those sugars, that gives them the color. Now, what, what's, what's the difference between like a rye, a whiskey, bourbon? Like how, why are so they- So rye whiskey, uh, a bourbon has to be 51% corn. Um, a rye can be different, doesn't have to have corn in it. Our, we have two different ryes. I think one of them is 75% rye, that's our straight rye whiskey, our 51 rye is 51 rye, part, I'm not sure if it's distillers, this is where I'm not good, see, I'm not the back end person. So, <laughs> so the difference comes down to what, what ingredients oh, yeah. are you starting with? Correct, no, that's how you, yeah, you have a formula, so you have so much, whether it's distillers malt, or a barley, or if it's a weeded bourbon, or a single malt, or Whatever your, whatever your spirit you're doing, you have an actual formula that you follow for every distillation, for every, for every, every time you do one. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, and everybody's is a little different. Some people put a little bit of this in, put a little bit of that. Some people will use blue corn. Some people use, you know, they, it depends on what they, it's why you have different tasting whiskeys. The water makes a big difference. Um, the still itself makes a huge difference. We have a 44 foot continuous column from Vendome, it's a copper still. So copper still tastes different than a stainless steel. Stainless steel still. <laughs> um, so everything makes a difference, you know. So, so then for, for people that may see this or maybe watching this or may listen to it in a podcast or what have you, if you're wondering what all of this means, probably the, the best advice is to tell them to go taste the American spirit, right. go over to Baraboo, Wisconsin, stop in, take a distillery tour, have lunch, have dinner on some, some high-end cuisine that is integrating the products that you guys make and that you retail, whether it's the, the spirits or 
it's the olive oils or it's the infused vinegars or any combination thereof. And then if you're not in the Midwest and you're seeing this, check out your local grocery chain, check out your local liquor store. And if they don't carry the dripless Glen, ask them to. Yeah, absolutely. Because if enough people ask, then they'll go to their distributor and say, hey, what about this dripless Glen? Can we get any of that? And yeah, we're willing to open up every state, um, hope to get it to you. And we do have online distribution. Uh, if you go to our website, you can see and it doesn't go to every state because every state has different laws, but your state might be one that we can ship to. So in that, in, in that's one thing I wanted to ask about was the online ordering, because I, I've done this as gifts for some people that have been on this program and some other folks. So the Driftless Glen website, what's the website? Driftlessglen.com. And there's one N in, in Glen, correct? Correct. Yes. Okay. So driftlessglen.com. And then you can almost do a shop now and you can go to some of the Driftless Glen partners that retail online and you can have it shipped right to your doorstep. Well, and if, depending on if we're in your state, uh, if you go to our website, you can go to the map and put in where you are and they'll tell you exactly where you can find oh. us. Oh, see, so, I didn't even know about that. So that's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, we have a map. Um, our marketing girl did that, you know, with every state. So as we get updated from our distributors where they are distributing, what, what grocery cho uh, chains or liquor stores are holding us, even local bars, we put that in. So someone can say, oh, I could go get it here. And so if not, we do have an online, I think we have like three different, we do a seal box. Um, they can ship a lot of places. We have LibDib, Drizzly, and um, Shotsbox, I think, and one more. So there's options to get it online. And, and it, there's 26 states that you guys have distribution to. So there, it, in all likelihood, you have a 50-50 chance in, in North America, in the well, United States, to be able to go to the opening, store. Uh, we're just opening Texas and Florida right now. Um, so you may not have it yet, but it's it will be open in this next month, um, which are two big, big states to supply. But hopefully you'll go out and you'll try it and you'll find it there. Awesome. Yeah. Well, Renee, thank you again for taking time out of your busy day and schedule. We appreciate it. Um, lots of great information. If you haven't watched all of the parts of our discussion, podcasts or webcasts with Renee, whether it's watch or listen to, check them out. Lots of great information. Again, this is information by entrepreneurs, small business owners, for entrepreneurs and small business owners. So we're taking what other people that are in business, in Renee's case, Driftless Glenn's doing millions a year in revenue, 50 employees, distribution to 26 states. It's big business. And there's lots of lessons to learn and take and apply in your own organization or business. Thank you. We're very proud of it. And like you said, Tasty American Spirit, that was something that um, we came up with. We trademarked that. We giggled that nobody had it. So, and Brian and I are both very um, uh, huge patriots of our country. So we just love the fact that it says Tasty American Spirit. And I would encourage everybody to give it a try. For the Midwesterners, uh, if you go to Wisconsin Dells, or maybe you haven't been to Wisconsin Dells in some time, Check out the Dells, stop in Bearview, 
at Driftless Glen, have a bite to eat, do a distillery tour, buy some packaged goods to take home. You won't be disappointed. Um, Renee, that's all I got. Thank you again. Thank you. Appreciate it. It was wonderful. I had a good time. 